try to cover this entire chapter uh, here today. Um, just kind of in an overview, really, of it. We could spend months on this. This is probably it's an, such an amazing chapter when you think about it. Um, it's in our series called Made Right, because what we're learning is, has the Apostle Paul declared that the just shall live by faith, so that's not something to be right with God is not something we can do ourselves. It's something that God has done for us in Christ. And what we do is we receive that by faith and then we walk in it practically. And that's kind of what we've been studying the last few weeks. I titled this morning's message, Sanctified Yet Struggling. And uh, that's one of the topics that as Christians, we don't necessarily like to talk about that we struggle, but there's not a one of us that's here today in the sanctuary or online at home that doesn't struggle, especially with sin. That's specifically what the Apostle Paul is talking about, that we struggle with sin, we struggle against sin. And I don't know about you, but uh, I'm kind of happy that the Apostle Paul struggled with sin, aren't you? I mean, you think about it. Here's Paul, just who you'd think is, you know, uh, written two-thirds of the New Testament, and, and guess what? Uh, he struggled against sin in his own life, the same way that you and I struggle against sin. Um, there's a, a promise, like I said, uh, from God that we would have victory over our sin. That, that's really what Romans chapter six, I, I kind of look at it like this. I would, I would love to, to read chapter six and, and understand, you know, the fact that when we go under that water of baptism, we've died, right? The, the old man has died, has died. And when we came out of the water of baptism, we were raised to new life that's in Christ Jesus. Meaning that not only did sin die, but we now have victory over sin when we come out. It's not just death, but it's experience in resurrection power, right? And then I would love to just skip chapter 7 and go right to chapter 8 where it talks about, you know, the joy and, and uh, you know, the glory and all those things that are, that are ours in Christ Jesus. But so like God, right in the middle of having victory over sin is the struggle that we have against sin before we get to the glorification and so there's so much theologically that the Apostle Paul, you know, brings out here. I want to read it with you. And I'm going to read the, the whole chapter from the NLT translation because we, we really need to kind of understand it, uh, like I said, in its entirety here in context. And then we'll break it down into some pieces here. Uh, the title of this particular section, you know, the first few verses says, No longer bound to the law. And when we understand that because of what we studied in chapter 6, that because of, of dying with Christ, we, we die. Sin has no, no need any longer if you're dead. The, the law was just to do one thing, was to bring us to Christ, was to keep us, you know, kind of uh, fenced in, as we said. But if you're dead, there's no need. And that's what Paul is saying, is that once we've died with Christ, you know, there's no need. The law doesn't serve a purpose anymore as long as a person is dead. And this is the analogy that he brings up. If you study the first six verses of Romans chapter seven, um, you'll find that they don't really apply to me and to you. They really apply to a Jewish audience. They're people that, that were living under the law. That's not who you and I are um, relationally, but we can study that. It really picks up after that, but we'll read it in its entirety here, and then we'll take a moment and pray, and then we'll walk through this and, and hopefully leave today with a better understanding of not just the victory that we have, but the struggle that ensues even after we've been positionally, and that's what we're really talking about, is positionally in Christ Jesus. You know, we, we are more than conquerors because of what Christ has done for us. And then sanctification, the word I was sharing with you last week, you know, is that 
we have to look at it as that's not just a one-time event in the, in the fact that Jesus died and rose again, but sanctification is a daily process. It's one that most of us recall because of Jesus' words, right, where he said, you know, if any person desires to come after me, let him pick up their cross, or deny himself, pick up their cross, and follow me daily. And that, that, that cross really signifies that struggle uh, that each and, us, each and every one of us will, will face uh, each and every day of our lives. And so we'll read this together and then uh, jump into it. <clears throat> it says, now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living, right? So I want to stop there for a second. So just hypothetically, you know, we've been talking a lot about speeding tickets lately and things like that. And, uh, you know, if you got a speeding ticket and you had a summons to go to court and you die before you go to court, do you have to pay the ticket? It's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there, does it make a sound, right? It's kind of—it's not like that. No, there, this is a real truth. If, if you get a ticket for speeding and you die before your court appearance, do you have to pay the ticket still? You, you, you were found guilty of speeding. Do you have to pay it? How many, by a show of hands, you believe you still have to pay the ticket? Even though you're dead, you still have to pay the ticket. Is there anybody? Okay, that's the smartest group of people. Hey, I bet somebody in second service raises their hand, okay? I will tell you next week. I honestly, I'll tell you. I'm going to ask them, okay? You guys know. You, you get it. If you're dead, the law doesn't apply, okay? And, and if you understand that, you, you're, you're like 80% home on this, on this message today and how the law in Scripture works in our life when we've come to Jesus Christ, when we think about baptism and dying, with him and then resurrecting with him that we're dead to the law. It doesn't mean that the law wasn't good. The law was really good, but it only served a purpose while we were alive, but we've died in Christ. So this is what he's obviously bringing out. He says, for example, when a woman, so he's going to switch this over to marriage now and, and, and people can mess this all up because we can stop and make marriage the focus of what he's talking about. And he's just using it as an analogy. Okay. You just need to understand that he's using his analogy, just like he used what previously was slavery, right? Because I shared with you that 120 million people in the Roman Empire, 60 million of them were slaves. Do you think they could understand or relate to an analogy that had to do with slavery? Absolutely. And they understood marriage as well. So he's using this purely as an illustration, okay? Not a jump off point. So he says, for the example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. She can't kill him, that's murder, okay? <laughs> But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. We get that. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries, according to the law. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. So that's what he's going back to chapter 6 for. Okay, so you understand that. Waters of baptism, died with Christ out of the waters of baptism, resurrection life in Jesus Christ. He said, and now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. So in one sense, he's, he's taking that analogy even further, like Paul did in Ephesians 6. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right, and gave himself for her. Then he says, but I'm talking to you about a mystery. The mystery wasn't marriage. The mystery was, as we are the bride of Christ. So when you come out of the waters of baptism, so think about this, and this is where people really hit a fork in the road and get sideways and go the wrong direction. So what Paul is doing in this analogy 
of speaking about marriage, he's, what he's saying is, if you have come out of those waters of baptism, you're now married to Christ. The old person, the old, your old man, right, is dead. You know, the wicked witch, right? Whatever, you know, whatever side of the equation you're on is dead. So now you're free to what? It's not adultery in that respect. It's that old man is dead. Who you were married to, you were bound to, is dead. And now you're free to enter into and what God desires is a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I apologize, I'm stopping here because I felt like if I don't kind of walk through this as we go through it, I'll, I'll lose some of you and I don't want to lose you at all, you know, in this. It says, so when, you were, when we were controlled, verse 5, by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us and the law aroused those evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. So I'll give you an analogy in a few moments about, think about when you see a park bench and it has a sign on it and it says wet paint. What do most people do? Just hold that thought. Okay. But that's what he's talking about there. It says, but now we've been released from the law for we have died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. So it's not legalism, it's relationship, right? Because in the Old Testament, the way you related to God was through the law. Well, Jesus was born in the New Testament, and the way we related to God was through the person of Jesus Christ. He said, follow me, come unto me. You know, it's all about a personal relationship, walking with God. That's why you see the arguments oftentimes with people about evangelism and about salvation. Like that we make it all, the end all that we go, so somebody raise your hand if you want Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. You okay? And then nothing happens, you know, from there. Because what God has ultimately invited us all into is into a relationship. You know, we think of him as a father. Think of all the relationships that scripture uses, you know, our heavenly father. So that makes us his children, right? Talks about the bride of Christ. That makes him the husband. That makes us the bride, right? You think of Jesus Christ. He's the good shepherd. What does that make us? Sheep, yeah. So he's, he's using all this to teach us about relationship because that's what God wants with you. He wants a relationship with you. He, doesn't, he didn't give you the Bible as a rule book, but that's often how people treat it. He, he wants us to have a relationship with him. The law was given to show us that we couldn't have a relationship with God apart from what God did for us in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I hope it does. So verse 7, it says, in the heading of my, my Bible, it says, God's law reveals our sin. It says, well, then, I am suggesting, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? He said, of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there was no law, sin would not have that power. And one time I lived without understanding the law. He's, he's talking about probably Acts chapter 9 when he was on the Damascus road. So what he's talking about there is his previous relationship uh, with God. He says, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. He said, so I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead so what do we see? And what did he say? The wages of sin is what? Death. Yeah. So that's what he's referring to. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. 
but still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. And so then he goes into now his personal you know, relationship you know, with God and, and understanding the struggle that he has. And my, my Bible has the, the topic struggling with sin. So think about this, 47 times, Paul, he switches from third and second person here in the first 13 verses to personal pronoun, I, me, my, 47 times he's talking about his own personal struggle here. You might say, you know, people could read that and go, is Paul having a, is he having a breakdown? And no, he's, he's having a personal revelation, it's, which is good. It's called introspect, looking within, being honest about what he sees, not trying to, as Jesus said, don't be a hypocrite, don't, don't put on a mask, don't try to cover it up, but actually expose it, bring it to the light. That's the good thing. It says, so the trouble, he says, in verse 14, is not with the law. He said, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. And that goes back to what he previously said with regard to the law. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, people could look at that and go, hey, wait a second. <laughs> Paul's just, he's, he's not taking personal responsibility. And he's like, no, he really is. He's seeing it spiritually. So I want to stop there for just a second. Because before the fall, man was still a triune being, right? We were controlled by our spirit the Holy Spirit living with God himself, you just say the spirit. And then what? Our physical body and then our soul, our emotions, our, our thinking, right? So we were spirit, soul, body. We were controlled by our spirit. But God said, in that day you eat this fruit, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Well, did they die physically? No. Did they die emotionally? No. They died what? Spiritually, yeah. So, or, you know, now the need we see then obviously is to what? To be born again, just as Jesus said. And when we're born again, what happens? Instead of being controlled by our physical body in our flesh or fleshly desires, or even our emotions, you know, even will, we could say, is to come back in alignment with the way that God intended is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that's what he'll get into, you know, in chapter eight. He says, uh, in verse 18, he says, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I know you can't relate to anything that he's saying here, but save this and share it with somebody that can, okay? That's it, yeah. He says, I want to do what's good, but I, I don't do, uh, but I don't. Let me read. I was trying not to read what I just read. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Read that 10 times really fast. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. 
This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, this chapter is so important to us in, in making healthy progress and understanding what justification is and how sanctification works that ultimately leads us to glorification. And Lord, I pray today that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, what your Holy Spirit has for us. I just thank you for our church. I thank you for these that are here today. I pray for those that are still struggling, who've just been enslaved because of COVID. And Lord, just have now a fear of, of being in places with, with other people. Um, God, we pray that, God, you would just set us free, set us free to, to worship you and, Lord, to be together as a church family, to love one another, to serve each other. And, Lord, we thank you for your word that it does just that. It, it changes us and it transforms us as it helps us to change the way that we think, Lord, as we quit thinking our way and we begin to think your way. And that's what we want to do today. And so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us and lead us transform us and change us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I read um, Romans 7, I, I was reminded of uh, John Newton. He was a, a pastor of a small church in 18th century England, and he uh, wrote a book, or a book was compiled of letters that he'd written over his life, and it was called Select Letters of, of John Newton. And you might not recall the name John Newton, um, unless you're thinking that he's like the guy who also invented the Fig Newton, but he didn't, as much as I wish that he did. Love that cookie. <laughs> but he's, that's too much personal information. But he's, but he's, he's really, he's, he's famous for, for writing the, the hymn Amazing Grace. And, you know, you've probably heard John teach on that and teach uh, uh, about how he came about this and how he wrote it. And uh, throughout his ministry, he, he wrote a lot of letters to people to comfort them and encourage them in their journey of faith. And that's, some of these letters made it into this book. Uh, one of the favorite, though, is when he was uh, 83 years old, he wrote a letter to a, a fellow pastor. And, and here's John Newton. I mean, if you've just read the lyrics of Amazing Grace, this guy, I mean, he's got a deep understanding of God's grace in his life. And and uh, it's really fascinating, you know, that here at 83, in this letter, he says, after walking with God for 40 to 50 years, he said, you would think that uh, I would have made more progress in the Christian life. He, he wondered why at 83 years of age that the temptations of the flesh were still as strong in him when he was 83, as it were, when he, you know, wasn't even walking with God. And this is coming from somebody who, like I said, didn't have just a, a shallow, he wasn't what we call just a Sunday Christian, right? I mean, he was a guy that was devoted to his faith, devoted to his God. And he understood there's a struggle. We will struggle against sin and with sin all the days of our life. Now, when we were in the true sense, before we came to Christ, we weren't really struggling with sin, even though there were struggles, right? Because we were, we were blind to what the struggles were. We were actually going along with them. It's when we turned against the current, you might say, and began to walk with God that uh, we discovered the struggle. You know, um, Newton came to the conclusion 
that we think, you know, oftentimes growing in grace means getting to a place where we don't need grace any longer. And, and you talk to people, and that's where they're disappointed. They just think, you know, I have been walking with God so long. I should know better. I should do better. You know, it's me, 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 me. But, you know, growing in grace often means growing in our awareness of our need for grace. Amen? That, that's maturity. That, that's real growth. That Do you recognize your need for grace today? See, when you read Romans chapter 7, that's what you understand about the Apostle Paul. He came to really comprehend his need for God's grace in his life. It wasn't going to be the law that he, you know, you find people that they walk with God for a long time and they go back to legalism. All of a sudden, I mean, I have friends that, you know, they've actually, you know, they're not Jewish, they're Jewish Christians now. They, 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 they're, they're not even Jewish really, but they, they, they're, they've put themselves back under the, the Old Testament law. And, and, you know, it's just a strange thing that really just robs you of just the, the joy of intimacy. Uh, with Jesus Christ, because there's something in our pride, like we think, well, you know, you know, you only keep, you know, eight of the commandments. I keep nine. Okay. For the wages of sin is what? Death. If you broke one, Jesus said, you broke what? All of them. And that doesn't mean that you don't try to keep them, but you don't keep them to try to justify your relationship with God. Grace, amazing grace. That's what Newton came to understand and know. I put in my notes here, grace doesn't just forgive you from sin, grace frees you from sin. That, that's what Paul keeps telling us. Grace doesn't just free us, you know, uh, forgive us from our sin, you know, when Jesus died, but it actually frees us. And, and that's something that Paul was growing in that, that understanding. But yet between, you know, the victory that we have that we read about in Romans chapter 6, like I said, and the glory that we'll experience in Romans chapter 8, we, we find there's a real struggle with sin in Romans chapter 7. You know, but death, you know, Paul reminds us death is what sets us free. It's a daily, it's a daily experience, dying to ourselves. And, and there's something, we understand that, you know, dying to ourselves, you know, preferring others, preferring God, loving God, you know, first. Doesn't mean not loving yourself, but loving God first. You know, that, that death to self is always healthy for us. There in, in verses, you know, one through three, you know, you can see there, is, you know, Paul's talking, like I said, uh, you know, about the marriage relationship and his intention, you know, was that it wasn't going to be a sermon, you know, on marriage and divorce. It was simply just an illustration to form a point about the law in general. Now, that's, that's what Paul wanted. He wants to see just like slavery was, like I said, in chapter six, while a husband is alive, his wife is bound to her. But if he dies, she's free to remarry. If he's not dead and she remarries someone else, you get it. He, she commits adultery. It's just pretty, pretty straightforward analogy. Marriage binds a person. Okay. So think about that. Marriage binds a person. So if you've died to your old self, your old nature, right? You can say that's like your old, your old, you know, spouse and you are resurrected into new life. You have a new marriage. You're the bride of Christ. You think about that. Marriage binds us to a person. And now your relationship, you're bound to him. And that's an invitation to walk with God and to know him personally, to know him intimately, day by day by day. The mercies of God, what does scripture tell us? They're new every morning, right? That we'd have a, a walk with God that, that encompasses every single day of our life. 
And yet what Paul is making clear here is, you know, that death ends a person's responsibility to the law. He's always taking it back to the law. And when, again, if we get that, when, where it really makes sense, we go back to Romans chapter 6, and he used baptism to teach that. And then you look at verses 4 through 6 there, and then he talks about, you know, in verse 4, he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. You know, when I think about that, you know, and then he says, you know, if you look at that, that verse, he says, and now you're uh, united with the one who is raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a good harvest of good deeds for God. Two things come to mind, two verses that, you know, you could write this one down. The first I have in my notes, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, my favorite verse in all of scripture. You know, Paul says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It's such a wonderful understanding, you know, that, you know, again, in the New King James, if any person's in Christ, if you're in Christ, you know, old things have passed away. That, that's what Romans 6 was all about. Old things have passed away. And when you came out of the water of baptism, what is he saying? Everything's new. It's, it's born again. It's new life. It's a life that you've never known before. And it's a life that you know with God. There's another passage, though, that comes to mind, you know, with regard to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And it's John chapter 15. And Jesus said, you know, he says, I, you know, my father's, you know, I'm the vine. He said, you know, you are the branch. My father's the vine dresser. And so he's talking about this intimate relationship of nourishment, right? The connection. And, and if we are connected to Jesus, I mean, like I said, do, do fruit trees have to struggle to produce fruit? You go, no, it's just a natural byproduct of what? The branch being connected to the vine. And Jesus said, you know, if you're connected to me, you don't have to, because isn't this what people do? Oh, I got to bear fruit. You know, I, I got to bear fruit. I got to do this. I got to do this. You, gotta, you go, that's not how you bear fruit. You bear fruit by just staying connected. There, he's the one who's responsible for the fruit, right? Not me, not you. Our, our responsibility in sanctification set apart is, is to be set apart to God, is to hold on to God, knowing that he's holding on to us. It's not like, oh, it's only what we do. And you go, no, it's what God did. But it's believing that and trusting that. Like I said, when we were born into this world, we were born into a fallen state because of the, the sin of Adam. I said the, how that structure worked in that, you know, the, like I said, the human beings made up of three parts, you know, body, soul, you know, and spirit. Yet, you know, when we were born into this world, we were born physically. We have a body. We have a soul. That's our consciousness, our ability to make decisions, to reason. But like I said, our spirit was dead. It was dead because of what Adam did. Scripture says, you know, by one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, death spread to all. But yet when we came to Christ, what happened? The spirit has taken his rightful place. We were born again. He said, not of the flesh, right? John chapter three, Jesus said, talking to Nicodemus, he said, that which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. You know, we must be born again. Why? To be born of the spirit of God. That way God is now in control again in our lives where he wasn't previously. And then the process is now is to learn how to listen to that voice because, you know, you have at least two voices, right? Some people have multiple you know, but I mean, but two, you think about this, you've got your, your voice, right? Then you've got the voice of God. 
You know, you're thinking of your, your reasoning to do things and you go, okay, in God's, God's voice. And Jesus said that, right? He said, when the Holy Spirit is given, so let's understand the relationship there. He said, when the Holy Spirit's given to you that Jesus would pray for, that the Father would send in his name, he said, he'll be with you and he will lead you and guide you into understanding, right? So he leads us and guides us. And how does he do it? He, he tells us, it's not a secret. It's not like somebody goes, oh, you know, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit led me. He caused a rainbow and a waterfall and, you know, and a hawk flew over and then a frog came. You know, you're going, man, that's just too much stuff to try to, try to, you know, remember. But he said, very clearly, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all that I have said. He said, the Holy Spirit doesn't even speak on his own. So he doesn't go, oh, you know what? Hey, they don't look like a very sharp you know, group there. So let's dumb it down even more and we'll put it like this. And that's what we do. But that's not what God did. Because he said, no, you can up the game because I'm going to give you my spirit. And the spirit will make it known to you because he's going to reveal my word to you. That's why then scripture comes back and protects us against that and says, there is no private interpretation, right? So you don't get that luxury of going, oh God, you know, this is how he did it, you know. It's like, no, he's given us his word. There's no partiality with God. His word for us. And Jesus is that, that final word. And when you read that in verse four, look at it, it says, we are united, he said, with the one who raised us from the dead. So he says, basically, we're, we're married to Jesus at that point. That's the relationship. But like I said, as I look at this and I'm going, Paul, even in his own life, he struggles with that. I mean, just like you can read that and you go, man, I just struggle, you know, in my understanding or my comprehension. I mean, I kind of get the sheep one better because I feel stupid. And then we know that sheep aren't that smart. And I can relate to that analogy, Pastor Mike, you know. And, you know, when you talk about God being our father and us being his kids, he goes, yeah, because I got spanked a lot as a kid. And it just seems like God does that all. Because he says, you know, no child that he you know, loves that he doesn't chase him. He goes, so he loves me a lot. You know, I get that. But then to go, you know, a marriage? Like just the, the God wants this intimate relationship with this. And I, I, I struggle, struggle, struggle with that one. And yet... You know, I had to laugh this week as I was, I, I was kept looking up things uh, to research biblically about struggling and then just, you know, what are things that we relate to, you know, in struggling? And then, then obviously, because I like humor, all of a sudden, these things on humor, on struggling started popping up. And I spent, you know, time and I was looking at this and it just cracked me up because struggling is not unique to any one person. I mean, if I went around... We could have testimony after testimony today of the struggles that every person's facing. And it doesn't mean that you're facing it directly. It could be indirectly just through things that are going on in your family, you know, with your friends, you know, people that you know about, that you work with, that you love, neighbors, all kinds of things. We're all going through struggles. You know, like I said, God's either preparing us to go into a struggle, right? Or we're in the midst of, of a trial or a struggle or we're coming out of one, right? It's just this life, this side of heaven. That's why heaven looks so appealing, you know, as we look at it in scripture, because there's what? No more pain. I was telling, you know, John, you know, today, and to, I have uh, sciatica in my back, and there's no reason, you know, on a, any given day something will happen, and there's good days and there's bad days. And today, like, I could hardly even get up. I couldn't even move. I, I mean, I'm still, you don't, people tell me all the time, 
Like if I, if I had to tell you on a pain threshold of one to 10, probably where I'm standing right now, I'm probably in about seven, okay? Let's just say that. So it kind of give you an idea, but you press through it, right? And, and so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, man, it's like, ah, uh, it's like, yeah, you go. So I'll, I'll be here and it's like some days, you know, I have friends that have bad backs. So they'll see me, they go, they can tell how I'm walking. Cause they go, if I'm really like bent over, they go, oh yeah, you can't even, you can't even straighten up. I know. And there's no rhyme or reason. It's just certain days. And today was just a, a bad day. Maybe 30 minutes from now, it'll be completely, cause it's nerve. Don't have any idea, but it's just a, a struggle of life. So what do you do? You know, makes me long for heaven. As soon as it starts hurting, I'm going, and I tell my wife, I go, you know, I'm ready to go home. No, I mean, seriously, I go, you know, you just get the, sometimes it's just the pain, you know, just dealing with it. I, and my heart just goes out to people that just live in chronic pain. It's because it's just, it's one of those things in life that you go, as a believer, and if you know you're, you're going to heaven, you go, and I kind of like that idea of no more pain. That one just jumps off the page at me, right? No more sorrow. Are you sorrowful today? And you go, there's not going to be any sorrow. How about tears? I mean, you find yourself just, you think of the things that are going on in Ukraine today, you know, in Russia and around the world, you know, and, and it's so sad. You've seen people's lives that are just destroyed. For what, for what purpose? I mean, half the Ukrainians are sitting there today going, we didn't provoke this. It's not like we were just minding our own business, you know? And you think about that, you go, because sometimes it, it's just being in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? I mean, yesterday, you know, my wife got her bicycle stolen out of our garage. And all I can do is praise God that it was her bike and not mine. I mean, because I have to tell you this, in all, in all honesty, it's really funny. Because my wife, she's been busy. She started a new business. And so she's really busy. Because I ask her all the time, you want to go for a bike ride? And she's like, I can't, honey. You know, I got to do this. And uh, I had my bike up at the front because I always, I ride it. So I kept it up at the front of the garage. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I decided to move it to the back because I kept thinking, you know, if somebody comes in here and I don't want to take in my bike. I go, because I ride mine. We got other bikes in there. They can, if they're going to take them, let them start with the other ones before they get to mine. And praise God, mine was in the back, you know. It was a better bike, you know, but they didn't, they don't, that proved they didn't know anything about bike riding. I just tell you that, but they, they stole their bike. You go, there's struggles. There's things in life that you just go, you know, and I'm going to be struggling when I get home. My wife's going to, you know, now tell me, why did I put her bike in the, in the front? You know, you go, I'll pay for that later, but it's just a struggle. I just want you to know, I can relate to the, the, the struggles. Mine are always self-inflicted though. So, but I love this. It, it, these are the things that I read. It said, my life is just a series of awkward and humiliating moments separated by snacks. <laughs> I just want you to know that it spoke to me. And then it, there was this one that says, it's a, <laughs> this one, you know, you're struggling. These things, why they appeal to me, right? It's a, it's a, I want to fake my own death, move to Mexico and live off tacos and horchata kind of day. <laughs> it's another one. You can't control everything. Your hair was put on your head to remind you of that. And that's for you, some of you gals. I like this one. If I had a dollar for every time a guy asked me to be his girlfriend, I'd be like totally homeless. <laughs> you go, ouch, struggle. It says, some days I have my act together and other days I have toothpaste in my hair. Can you, can you relate to that? It says, uh, I've been putting... A lot of thought into it. And I just don't think being an adult is going to work for me. 
Yeah, the, I, mean, you, I think you can, you can relate to that. Verses uh, 7 through 13, you know, as Paul goes on, he says, well, then, uh, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? He says, of course not. And he says, in fact, it was the law that showed me, you know, my sin. And so you remember, you know, what Paul is saying is that the law stimulates the, the old nature, right? Our human nature. And it, you look there at verse 8, uh, he says, uh, but, sin, but sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. And that's what I was sharing with you earlier. Remember I told you, think about the analogy of being in a park and seeing a park bench that said, uh, it has a sign on it, says, you know, uh, with a command, it says, wet paint, do not touch. So what happens? What, what happens when that sign gets put on that bench? They put that, that's a command, right? And what do people do? You see it all over, right? They touch it and then they wipe their finger on the sign, right? And you think, why did you do that? And they go, because it aroused something within them. And they go, I don't know what it was. I, I wouldn't have touched it. You would, don't, most people don't walk into a, a park and just walk up to the bench and go like this, right? No. But as soon as you put a sign on it that says, don't touch wet paint, what do most people do? They, it's like they want to prove it wrong. Not, it wasn't wet. And they go, oh, it was wet. And then, you know, you've got somebody with it. Why did you do that? Because that's exactly what Paul's saying, is that it conjures up something that's within us, the rebelliousness of our own heart. Covetousness is, is so unique because it doesn't deal, like I said, with the outward action, but it deals with an inward attitude. That's what Paul said. He goes, you know, hey, I did really good with the commands of God until number 10. And then I realized that all sin starts in the heart. And that's true. And then he said, you know, he walks back through, and I've shared this with you, you know, that's why Jesus could say, if a man looks upon a woman with lust, he's committed adultery because it starts in your heart. Or a person says, you know, you fool or you idiot, or I hate you. He said, you've committed murder in your heart. You go, because it starts there. And so Paul says, I'm guilty of every other sin because I realize even if I don't do it outwardly, I've done it in my heart. So Paul said, the problem is not the law. The problem was Paul. He said, the problem is me. The law only does what? It amplifies the sin that is already in me. The law never, ever, hear me on this, the law never, ever justifies a person. And there in verse 14, he says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Some of your translations will say carnal there, which means flesh or fleshy. The, the spirit is willing, Jesus said, but the flesh is weak. Paul says, you know, but I'm carnal. I'm made of flesh. I am by my nature weak, unable to keep God's law. That, that's what Paul is telling us there. So the law shows the standard. The law shows God's requirements. By showing God's requirements, it shows how far short I fall. And that's what the law does. The law reveals for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How do I know that? Because of the very laws of God. The law is like a, a mirror. The mirror is an accurate reflection of you. You might not like what you see, you know, in the mirror, but if you're if you're honest, you know, the mirror is being honest too. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, no amount of bad eggs can create a good omelet. I like that. Tim Keller, he wrote this. He said, you begin an addiction when you have some distress in your life and you look to a substance to give you relief. But you really know that you're in the inescapable 
stranglehold of an addiction when you look to the very thing that it is causing the problems in your life to give you relief from the problems in your life. So it's true. You know, that you think, you know, the addiction is going to set you free, but it's the, the freedom that you seek is actually the addiction. It's a vicious cycle. A lot of us you know, are slaves to sin, addicted to sin. And yet to defeat sin's control in our lives, we need to move from the carnal to the self-indulgent lifestyle to an empowered life, one in the spirit. That's what we're going to discover when we get into chapter eight, living and walking in the spirit. And yet it was the apostle Paul, it was his honesty with regard to his own inability to keep the law that made him understand that the just shall live by faith because it's impossible to live any other way. The just shall live by faith. What did the, the writer of Hebrews tells us that, that faith is the assurance, right? Of things that are hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that without faith, it's impossible, right? It's impossible to please God because the man, the woman, the child who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is God and that he's a rewarder of those who what? Who diligently seek him, okay? It's not seeking the law, but seeking him. It's a relationship with God. You know, I've told you this many times. You know what makes heaven heaven? is Jesus, you know, without Jesus, heaven isn't heaven. Heaven's just a place. It could be Hawaii. You know, it could be the Bahamas. It could be, you know, some tropical paradise in that regard. But it couldn't be heaven because what makes heaven heaven is Jesus. And so you can listen to people, you know, that have moved from, you know, say the carnality of, of faith to this deeper understanding is when they see heaven not as a place, but they see it as a person. They, they see it as a relationship that, you know, and you hear about it. I mean, think about it this way. You know, we, we've all lost people, loved ones. You'll hear people saying this as they, you know, prepare sometimes for death and they're going to go, oh, you know, well, you know, hey, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, but you know what? Hey, but I'm going to get to see my mom again and I'll see my dad again. And, and you go, that's awesome. You go, because what did they see heaven as? They didn't say heaven. They said a person, someone that they loved. They wanted to be what? restored to they wanted to be reconciled you know back they've been separated from them and that's exactly the relationship that jesus wants us to understand with him that it's a personal intimate relationship that we can enjoy and yet like i said it the apostle paul was very honest about his inability you know for himself to keep the law and he understood yeah, that's why it drove martin luther to his knees you know that the just shall live by faith as you think about it, because you, go, I, I love this. I study Abraham's life and you go, did Abraham have a lapse of faith? And you go, yes. You go, he lied on two different occasions, called his wife, his sister, right? The man of faith, right? You think of, you know, David, David was considered what? A man after God's own heart, right? And what did David do? He committed adultery with more than one woman. And he did what? Well, one of them, he murdered her husband. You know, and this is David, David, King David. I think there's Peter, the rock, who loved Jesus, but he ultimately, what? He denies him three times, right? Think of Thomas. Thomas, you know, was very honest, you know, 
I mean, just tremendous candor. And what about him? You think of his life. He doubted. Isn't that going to be sad? You get to heaven, you go, hey, doubting Thomas. You know, like, and I think that gets dropped in heaven. I just want to let you know. But no, better than trying to cover our sin, the Bible tells us we should expose our sin. We should bring it to the light. And the victory is what we, like I said, just plant a seed here. That's the joy that we'll see when we get to Romans chapter 8 here. And we accept Jesus. You know, many of us believe, you know, that when we came to Christ, when we turned from sin, that meant never sinning again. Do you ever disappoint yourself with that one? You think, yeah. You know, we, we thought coming to Christ and all of a sudden, you know, guess what? You know, we're good. Sin's gone and suddenly what? We're, we're righteous. We forget, you know, although justification is a gift of accepting Jesus, the gift of sanctification is what? It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. If you don't get anything else out of this today, I hope you get this. You're in a process, okay? The difference between being set free from the power of sin and Romans chapter 6 and the glorification that we'll have one day is the struggle that you're going to have against sin. It doesn't mean that you give up on the struggle. It doesn't mean that you quit fighting the good fight. On the contrary, Scripture teaches the exact opposite. We fight against our flesh all the time, but not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. And that, again, our perfection is never going to be based upon what you and I have done. It's always based on what Jesus has done for us. And so he, he ends it, you know, with verses 15 through 25 when he says, you know, I, I really don't understand myself. He says, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. You know, that was a struggle that he had. But I like, he found very clearly there in verses 24 and 25, what's the solution? You know, in closing before we go into communion here. Like I said, it starts with confession. Starts with confession. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not sinless. You're not sinless. Only Jesus is. There's only one who's righteous. Only God himself. And, and there's really not just saying that, but really understanding that that makes me needy, you know, that I, I need God. I need God. I need, I need the Holy Spirit. I need everything that God would afford me as a child of God. And Paul says in verse 24, he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. So he's being honest. There's a, there's a misery apart from God. He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And the solution, he says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So what do we do? Like I said, admit there's a problem. You know, 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So true. Oscar Wilde put it like this. He said, I can resist anything except temptation. You know, we're going to struggle. So the key is, is don't hide it. Don't run away from it, but expose it, bring it to the light. And then the last thing, 
focus on God. Focus on God, not your sin. You know, I can only put it to you in, in, in the category of food. I can see a chocolate fudge cake, which I, I love the one from Tahoe Joe's, by the way. <laughs> You're looking at that cake, right? And you go, but I'm not going to eat that cake because I got willpower. Okay. I've been so good. It's been two months since I've had a slice of Tahoe Joe's chocolate cake. So I see it and I go, you know, not going to eat that cake. I'm not going to eat that cake. I walk around. I look at that cake. I can touch the cake. I smell the cake. But I say, I'm not going to eat that cake. 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 I am not going to eat that cake. And then what happens? I don't just eat a slice of the cake. In my guilt, my shame, my humility, what do I do? Yeah, I, I'm going to start a gym. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to Jason about this tomorrow. We've been going to the gym together and, and uh, helping each other out. And, uh, but I, I'm thinking I want to start a gym called Tomorrow's Gym. <laughs> Tomorrow's Gym. No, no, I've thought a lot about this when I'm on that bike pedaling. I thought, you know, what about if we call it Tomorrow's Gym and you go to this Tomorrow's Gym and you eat, it just is a pastry, you know, and shop, but it shows videos of working out. And you tell each other, you have to tell each other before you go, tomorrow, we're going to do this, right? Because <laughs> there's, isn't that the devil's favorite words, right? It's always tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, tomorrow we'll start doing Bible study. Tomorrow I'll start going to church. Tomorrow, you know, I'll get involved with this. Tomorrow I'll do this. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And we don't have that promise today. But we focus on God, you know, not our, not our sin. That's what Paul says. Who can save me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Such a wonderful way to go into communion, you know, to be reminded that our victory is because of what Christ has done for us. It's not because I'm going to try harder and do better and all this. The way that I'm going to have greater victory in my life this is simply to walk closer to Jesus. Because you know that he never sinned, right? He never blew it. He never messed up. The more I hang out with him, the closer I get to him. You know, I can only think of, you know, back when I was in high school, my parents, my senior year, sent me to a, a football camp. It's called Offense Defense. It was a football camp run by the pros. And it was the most life-changing experience for me because to get to be taught by guys that had reached the highest level and you learn things that I didn't even know could even have existed. And one of the, the, the beauties of it was throughout the course of the week, as they were working with us and they were coaching us, they said, you know, just, just follow my example, just follow my lead, just, just do what I'm doing. That's how they, that's how they would show you the techniques. They didn't just show you a film. They didn't tell you to read it in a book. They did it before you. And that's what Paul said himself. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, right? And, and Jesus invites us into a relationship, you know? So remember when he said, you know, in Matthew 11, remember when he said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he said, come unto me. He said, and I'll give you rest. Do you remember why he said that? It wasn't because he's going, hey, you guys tired? You wore out? He's like, are you tired of the Pharisee's way? 
Are you tired of the religious way that you, you could never attain it and you just feel terrible, you know, as you try it? He goes, are you wore out from religion? He goes, then, then come to me. Enter into a relationship. I took care of it and I will take care of it. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet, but he did so that we could become the children of God. There's something in that. So I'll invite uh, the worship team. <laughs> oh, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. And Lord, we pray that at this time of communion, that it would just be a sweet time for each of us today. So we take this, this bread in our hand and be reminded that, Lord, it was your body broken for us and your blood shed for us, that life is in the blood. And, and we're reminded of that today. And Lord, I, I pray that for each and every person here and those that are even at home, that Lord could just find uh, some elements to be able to participate and partake in communion today, to thank you afresh that you died for us so that the penalty of our sin was broken. And Jesus, you rose from the dead on the third day, just like you said, so that the power of sin would be broken. So Lord, we can live victoriously. I didn't say we would live perfectly, but we can live victoriously because Lord, even when we fail, God, the way to victory is to confess it, is to come back, to be made whole, made right by confessing our sins to you who is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us, Lord, to sanctify us afresh. And so, Lord, help us today. Help us to be real. The two things of walking in victory, help us to first admit the problem, just like an alcoholic would say, hey, my name is Mike, uh, I'm an alcoholic. Admit there's a problem. Whatever those areas of sin might be in our life that got a hold of us, God, the victory begins as we identify it and we, we call it for what it is. We call out to you. And then, Lord, we simply bring those things to you at the cross, knowing you died for those sins. You've set us free. May we experience that freedom today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.